Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Welcome to a very spooky edition of Beardy and the Beast, a spoiler-filled discussion into a piece of media. We will not slip those spoilers a drugged peach to make them forget. We're available here and on many other services listed at beardyandthebeast.com. If you've heard things that go bump in the night, give us a like and a follow, or join us in the discussion in the comments or at our Discord. My name is Drew, and as always, we have fellow loyal vassal to the Goblin King, Devin. Do some dance magic. This month we are revisiting films that frightened us as children. Today we're discussing 1986 fantasy adventure Labyrinth. So Devin, did those goblins manage to spirit you away in the night? Um, yeah. Yeah, I would say they did. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of fairy tales, and this definitely has that super fairy tale vibe, and was digging it. It definitely had that feel. Yeah. Even kind of like, tonally, maybe not in resolution it wasn't that dark, but it definitely gave the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a bit of that grim, um, bit of Alice, mm-hmm. bit of Oz, all kind of thrown in. And I just had like the biggest dumb smile on my face the entire time watching the film. <laughs> but I guess the more important question is, why'd this spoop you as a kid? Uh, it's it's so weird because it must have been fully visual. As you know, I don't remember much from before I was like 12, so I only have experiences of being yeah. afraid of this. But the particular scene that I remember is the goblins in the crib. Okay. So originally I thought the goblins were near the crib. Mm. And they like stole stole away the baby, and I remember that. Yeah. But... I think a lot of the spoop probably came from the whole like Lucas Henson collab. What was it called? Uh, practical effects. Yeah. Like there was something very real to it, and there was a lot of like tonal and image related things that were actually fairly scary. Mm-hmm. Like even the helping hands. Yeah, that was kind of. Yeah, there's something like very disturbing about all those helping hands, the uh, the little bitey things that they were trying to like torment Ludo with. Yeah, it was scary as if. Yeah, it was a uh, quite. Uh, I wouldn't say scary for me. It was like creepy. Yeah, they definitely say. had like a creep fact. Which what's really interesting is the of tone to what was actually occurring mm-hmm. when they were showing all that. Yeah. So if we were to if we were to take the crib as the example, goblins under it. It was funny to me now because yeah. they were acting like kind of goofy in the way that they were kind of pleading for say the right words. Mm-hmm. But like as a kid, I didn't catch on to that. I yeah. must have been quite young, and I just like saw these scary-looking things, and they wanted to steal a bit. Yeah, yeah. 
it's interesting because I didn't actually watch this movie till I was quite a bit older. Mm. Um, so I think I watched this oh, probably say roughly like a decade, a decade, 12 years ago, I think it's the first time I watched it. Mm. Uh, and so it's interesting because like when you're talking about like the under the crib stuff like that, there, there was a couple things that I swore were completely different than they were. Um, so again, I thought there was a little bit more of that, that with the crib, mm. um, with them actually like stealing the baby away. And I also thought there was more of like a, like a weird romance plot between her and the Goblin King for some reason. It was supposed I, to be like, it was implied, yeah. but there was the ballroom scene, but I thought I remembered something like him trying to get her to be like the Goblin Queen type thing. Oh, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I didn't catch any of that. There was definitely, like, a romance subtext. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't see anything as far as, like, Bubbling Queen. It's pretty mm -hmm. much just Bowie and his Technicolor package. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it is. Yep, yeah, Bowie definitely had the full package for the entire film. I, okay. Um, never, never wear gray sweatpants, let alone gray, you know, yoga pants. Keep PSA guys, never do it. <laughs> yeah, unless you're really proud. Yeah, really then proud. I mean, just like go for it. <laughs> uh, no, one thing, like before we get back on track here, one thing I really noticed is every time there was like a shorter character, they would make sure that was Bowie was standing next to them so that they did a face shot and Bowie's package would be in the shot. And I'm like. <laughs> I couldn't not notice it. I was like, this has to be intentional. I mean, it was like the 80s. It was yeah, yeah. The entire cast was probably on coke or something. Yeah. The thing that still throws me off, like, with Bowie, like, outside of the movie, just, he's considered punk. And then you listen to songs like Magic Dance. And like, but how is this punk? Uh, I, mean, I can't really get into it. Like, there's, there's a yeah. good book for it. Um, yeah. And by I think it's uh, please kill me the uncensored autobiography of there's a lot okay. of things you wouldn't assume to be yeah. punk rock yeah for instance, I guess it's all like Blondie's considered punk yeah uh, and in that same scene freaking what's his name Campbell's soup uh, Warhol yeah he was yeah. in the punk scene yeah but. Uh, to get kind of back on track, yeah, <laughs> as we're continuously getting distracted by Bowie's package. Uh, yeah, another full thing. What was would have been entertaining to me as a kid was actually disturbing to me as an adult, and that was the red birds. I know, were, right? Like they were taking <laughs> off their heads, and that was fine. But like the design of them actually had a spoop to it. Yeah, and I'm like, this is this is the thing that would chase me down a hallway. You know, it, it's. It's funny because I, I remember noting that that scene looked, I could see that being like the spoopy type mm. scene again. And it's also the only scene that I noticeably noticed the, that it was green screened. I didn't even notice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could see like the lines around them. It's like, it, it was like the only scene that I actually noticed that in. Mm. Um, so, I mean, but again, most of it's practical. Uh, it had me going, it's like, but 
why did they green screen them? Because there's probably some stop motion with those birds or in the way they did the puppetry for them or something. Yeah, it might have been much easier to do a green screen, especially with the cables. Yeah. Might have been something like uh they might have even had people in green suits. Mm. Yeah. Like the was it Midnight Players or mm-hmm. Famous Players? I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah, I so could see something been, like that. Like there was some more intricate movements that would Yeah. So that's probably there was only one other part of like digital artistry that like um special effects that really jumped out at me Hmm. the owl the owl in the opening credits i even noticed it so i I, i'm like wow that's very cg and apparently it was like the first actual like attempt to do something photorealistic with the cg because you know this was 86 (laughs) so like super uncannied yeah it hit it just hit that kind of like it looked like a toy flying around it like it didn't look bad per se it was just noticeable but that's coming from you know and then again a lot of cg nowadays is noticeable too remember jurassic park <laughs> sorry get sidetracked on cg <laughs> i i do i do objects in mirror uh yeah. <laughs> yeah overall it was it was a weird experience especially coming to something that frightened me as well because mm-hmm. there was a lot of humor to it even though visual tones and the creatures quite spoopy Mm-hmm. didn't impact me too much like I thought Bowie made the perfect goblin king yeah like the the way he could have been more exuberant been more flashy mm. like his outfits got that way but it seemed like kind of closed in shoulder rather than you know chest out it's kind of like kind of felt his acting I almost wonder if that is intentional to be that more goblin-y aspect mm. right because i mean you, you don't really think of goblins as the tall completely proud chest up type creatures yes there's just something about like the acting yeah. closed in yeah I, I found it was interesting with the acting i found it felt like the opening scenes with um with sarah and her parents felt very forced Oh no, it was super 80s. Yeah. It was super, like, everything was overacting. Yeah. Um, Everyone was doing their own thing and they didn't, they weren't vibing. Yeah. Uh, It did get better when it was her and the puppets. (laughs) Yes. So. But she definitely busted out a few Sharon kind of thing. Yeah. It was like, eh. Yeah. It's like. Well, I mean. This is what happens when you get a 15-year-old to play a 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why all those 90s sitcoms hired 30-year-olds to play 15-year-olds. <laughs> it's the Dawson. <laughs> Maybe it's still younger. I'm thinking, like, Saved by the Bell. Oh, a lot of things. Yeah, Saved by the Bell is the same thing. And then, like, with the exception of, like, a few like i think when millie jovovich was in that i think she was like thir- she was like younger than she- they thought she was she uh, lied to get the part makes sense yeah um, i mean it's, it's a thing movies you, you have it happens it's rare to see them actually grab a 15 year old to play a 15 year old and worth noting 
It was definitely like there was some tidbits though. You could see where Connolly would go. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some setup, but uh, there was nothing renowned about Skian Labyrinth. Yeah, like I know this is one of her earliest roles. I'm not sure if it's considered her breakout role or not. Um, I'm just not familiar with the other couple of movies, a couple of things she was in before this. But yeah, yeah no, there's definitely the the inklings there. It's like you can see how she's gone from this to you know Requiem. Well, I wanted like I would have really enjoyed to see her reaction to some of these work. She just like seemed perfectly fine like an average day of this selfish child who has to have everything her way and thing affects her yeah sharing up a storm <laughs> and <laughs> the i i would have liked for her to show more reaction to kind of the whole being faced with mm-hmm uh, yeah, it was a bit odd for her to be the stoic. Yeah. In that case. Um, one like thing that, I will note. Oh, I was going to say. Gonna say <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the helping hands mm-hmm. would have been like terrifying. You're like getting held up and groped by all these like hands that you're um, falling down a hole and they just like grab you. You have like a ca- casual conversation with them. Yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of that. And I think. I think that's one of those things that made me go like connect this to Alice in Wonderland more so mm. um, than like Wizard of Oz or something because it that felt very Alice in Wonderland to me. She was never. I don't even remember Alice ever really getting terrified or with all of the weird stuff that was going on with with her. It was just more like like this is the world. This is how how it is, and I mean she's clearly into that fantasy world. I mean everything from like the majority of the creatures and like the books she's reading they're all that world again mm-hmm. <laughs> like so yeah the yeah, yeah I, I i it makes sense from what you're saying it's def it's if we take it from the allison one perspective that kind of portrayal makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. now that's not a dig at Connolly, like if she should have reacted more to like, craziness around her, that'd probably be like director's hands. But one of the things I will note with, like, even with you know, the the, the Sharon levels of some mm-hmm, of the, mm-hmm. the acting there, um, I, I actually noted this down. It was like when she was pleading with the Goblin King right at the beginning. There's like her lines were stiff, but she was her face was showing the emotions well. Like you could see her like almost tearing up while she's pleading for, for her brother back, that type of thing. Um, I thought her tone was okay. Very eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. The face matched the portrayed emotion, but I don't think the body followed suit. Yeah. Like there was no, like it's, it's, it's hard to explain in an audio form, but <laughs> Um, there's no, there was no proverbial like pulling on the sleeve. 
yeah Ple- pleading for that like the body acting yeah yeah that's that's very true but and yeah it was it's just and this way specifically said the face <laughs> it's nice to see that, that was trying to happen um that's what i have there i got distracted Ignore me. Talk about something. Start a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only other person here. Well, <laughs> I, I think the only acting within this that I was like fully sold on was probably Hoggle. Mm. Was... Yeah, Hoggle was great, actually. Yeah, and like as as a kid, I would have found Hoggle to be a bit scary. Mostly because the animatronics really facial to the character, but and that's a testament to Jim Henson Company, yeah, be able to pull that off because like, um, and and the body and voice acting Mm. that role like when when he drugs Sarah, like you actually kind of feel for him. It's like you're a jerk, but. You regret it already, and you can tell. Yeah, yeah, it's very good at saying at having his hand forced and conveying that very well. Hmm. It's too bad the acting around him fell short. Mm. I guess you could say. I am happy that we didn't end up with a Star Wars moment where only the the Wookiee was able to show emotion, <laughs> and. Like Ludo was fine. Yeah, Ludo was a big dummy and just wanted a friend. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll be your friend, Ludo. Yeah. I guess I can't think of anything else that's too frightening itself. Mm-hmm. Mostly because it is strongly rooted in a fairy tale style. Yeah. Everything that is actually frightening about it, we already kind of discussed. There was kind of a lost message on me for the film itself. All right. Like, as near as I could tell, it was growing into an adult and beginning to look beyond yourself with the power of friendship is what I would take from that. But it was just so, like, it was kind of boggy. It was jumbled up, and I didn't quite feel it. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um and like there was clearly a through line, but it wasn't the through line didn't exactly have the peaks and troughs that you expect in a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I think part of that was the eighties aspect. Um again, I think part of that is that I mean Alice in Wonderland again is very much like that. Mm. Um, so, so I kind of forgave it. It was like, she got her lesson and then immediately took the lesson instead of letting it build or have the lesson grow organically Mm -hmm. in some ways, uh, is is almost what, how I would say it It was kind of like everyone walking up to you for an entire day not paying attention i'm just being like the sky is blue the sky is blue the sky is blue and you know at some point in the latter half of the day you go oh the sky is blue 
Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that's how Daria should have progressed. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think this movie would have benefited from choosing a path. Mm. It's, if it had committed to more of an Alice style or more of an Oz style, it had actually committed to being a musical of some sort. Mm -hmm. Instead of like two and a half songs. Yeah, and two of those two and a half songs didn't seem to be set pieces as opposed to plot pieces. Yeah. The fact that they were even included, they shouldn't have even been included unless it was like song magic. Could have been mm -hmm. a goblin thing. It sounds like a fairy tale. Yeah. Or alternatively, if there was singing pieces. Like if this if this was a musical, I would have really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, it had the right elements for it. Like just imagine a little like self-personal ballad at the beginning about no one understands her. Yeah. And she has it so hard. And then yeah. that same song evolving to something at the very end where Oh, there's an amazing I want song in there. Yeah, yeah. I want to the to Yeah, I could see that working real well. And I think if they had actually went with the musical route, I think like because Magic Dance just <laughs> like hmm. why is this even here, right? Because it's like it's got like the loosest connection, but it's like but there's magic and a baby, get <laughs> it? And that was like the only connection <laughs> I could put to the song, but it wouldn't have felt as odd if there was. Uh, if there was other songs, because then it would just be some weird villain song set piece, which would have made more sense. I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like the Goblin King, from what I can see, everyone who was considered for him was a musician. So mm. they clearly had this musical idea in their mind. Or they were just looking for this is popular right now. Yeah, I guess. Because why, would, why wouldn't they move it up? I mean, it could have been a Bowie thing. Yeah. They've been like, you get two songs. Yeah. About three, uh, two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could have been. It, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I haven't, and I haven't been able to find anything specific on that aspect, but. In my, my mind, because this movie didn't know what it wanted to be, my mind just kept wandering. Mm. Probably not in like a a good way. Okay. But I definitely thought as soon as there was one song and I'm like, why why isn't this film not just filled with songs? If they filled it with songs, any of the shortcomings you could all of a sudden make exception for. Yeah. Yeah, in the same way they can't for animated films, right? Yeah. yeah. I and it's and it's a good way to monologue. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can express more difficult um, themes and emotions just by singing them. Yeah. Not that singing and you know proper I forget what they call it, but like sing acting. Singers also do some acting. Yeah. Stage. But I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying if they wanted to get something a little, mm. there was just moments that felt very host like and this mm. this is a film that i've mentioned several times before it's a south korean film where it doesn't know if it wants to be a comedy or a horror movie yeah and it just swaps between them yeah um, like something like shawn of the dead <laughs> yeah 
where it firmly knows what it is. Yeah. In this in this case, if it had kept more of a quirky vibe, with some like you know taint, tainted darkness, I would have really enjoyed it. Mm. Like the whole uh, the worm thing. Yeah. Well, like, no, uh, don't go that way, and then the other way. Yeah. Like that had a quirkiness to it. There was a bit of like light air to it, but you know something for nothing. Mm-hmm. They didn't really keep that. Yeah, they were like. They were like, there's some messing with her, but not that same thing. And that, that's why, again, it keeps jumping into Alice. I guess a bit more Alice than than Oz. Because Alice was that same way. Just kind of a bunch of disjointed scenes. Mm. Right? Which I know was a a staple of the story writing at the, at the time of when Alice was written. Where it's just more of these set piece scenes. Yeah. And and I really think that that's something adapted for like a play. Yeah, because uh, yeah, there's just a lot of those little things. It's like this is a very Alice type scene, like you know the the guards, right? With the the riddle of one always lies, one always tells the truth. Mm. Right? That's a very Alice type type situation. Well, that w- uh, or you're just talking about the logics and stuff like that. Well, there's there's. Well, that's that's another thing. That just kind of like feels like another thing that was kind of thrown into the junk drawer of the film. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know, a junk drawer is where you put random bits and bobs. Usually, a drawer in the kitchen. Yeah. So, if you're looking for something that you have nowhere idea where it would be, like say the, a random wine opener, happens yeah. that doesn't generally drink wine, it's probably in the junk drawer. Yeah. Um. But that's kind of how this felt. So the, uh, the door or the guards that were like, one of us lies and one of us tells the truth, didn't follow suit with that thematically either. And they could have with the door knockers. Yeah. Um. They didn't do anything with the door knockers except have a little like a joke about it. Yeah, that that was one thing. I, like I almost expected the the knights and the door knockers to actually repeat itself there. Or, or something similar in that vein. And I was hoping it would have been more accurate with the door knockers and was a little bit let down that that didn't happen. Um, and the reason why I say I'm kind of disappointed how they did do with the knights was they clearly weren't acting like one always lied and one always told the truth mm. because they were saying the same things until the actual question happened. So I'm like, and this is how we get to the helping hand situation because I don't think this actually worked the way it should have worked. <laughs> um, that could have potentially been something they were purposefully doing, but if that they were, they didn't make it clear enough in the film. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, um, and she came to the answer like super quick. Would have been also nice to have have her puzzle around some of these things a little bit more. Mm. Right. Just linger, not instantly. Here's a challenge. Here's the answer. Um, it's all right to take a breath and have her be confused about how to deal with it. Well, I mean, one of, one of the, what if, what could have improved that in the course of this film is if there was some concept of the actual passage. of mm. Like yes. the, the lighting was very static as far as how bright it was, there wasn't night scene, thirteenth yeah. hour. Yeah. Um, it's 
like five seconds of her passing back and forth with like a slight fade lighting mm -hmm. would have con conveyed like a passage of time where she actually rid riddled and puzzled it or like yeah but that's that's why i feel it was like very slop sloppy and very junk drawer yeah it was just all these little bits and all things that i would like a little bit more yeah yeah it's, it's one of those ones where they're the framework i think was fairly was quite was good mm. it needed these it yeah just needed that room to breathe for lack of a better term yeah for sure to like, um because I, I i don't think i would have necessarily changed anything about like much really about how the actual story progressed and how the act how our adventure progressed um i i liked that even with the kind of disjointed um nonsensical aspects to it but have her puzzle i mean and, and she did it with um was it didymus mm. at least she puzzled she puzzled around that one a little bit when about getting past him and i like individually i like that part yeah it's like well why don't you give us your permission and he's like well mm -hmm. like i really enjoyed that part i don't yeah i don't i wouldn't make any significant changes what i think it needs is a real yeah lengthen some scenes shorten some scenes yeah like every everything it has is it needs is there mm -hmm. they just need a cohesive yes yeah that's a that's a very good way to put it i didn't realize this was based off of a, a book until like today <laughs> was it was she actually quoting from the book uh, I don't know if she was quoting from the book, but this, it was based off of a book, uh, so I'm just confirming it here, that's actually um, part of a quote-unquote trilogy of hmm. books, which um, one of them is Where the Wild Things Are. What is that? Yeah, it's the same author as Where the Wild Things Are. And it's like somehow related? Yeah, apparently, uh, I was reading in the tr in the trivia about this here that it was, um, yeah, kind of based off of a a trilogy of them. This is one of them. I cannot remember what it's called here. Uh, and yeah, I can't, I can't remember quite what it's called. Um, but this and where the wild things were, one other book were all the same thing. So. This could also kind of run into that same situation that I know we've talked about in a couple other films, uh, where this was probably a very, very short piece mm. that they had to work on with probably some great visuals, right? Much like where the wild things were. I mean, I can't believe they made that into a two and a half hour movie, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so the movie is loosely based on a book called Outside Over There, written by Sendak, the same person who wrote Where the Wild Things Were, and the other book is called In the Night Kitchen, which is a which is a loose trilogy of dreamlike dreamlike books, which is very much the feeling that I had with this that that dreamlike quality. So, um, I know nothing of the book. But it could 
could kind of explain a little bit of those pacing type things as well and explain where where the visuals and like the key points are so are so vivid mm. right but then you have to fill in the bits around it because it's if it's anything like where the wild things are there'd be a lot to fill in <laughs> well and that's easy to fill in Songs. Yeah. yeah yeah oh, i i, I agree a, this would have been amazing as a musical <laughs> this if this was a musical i would be running in a completely different town right now because <laughs> i would give a whole lot of allowances for some things but because it's so jumbled i have to be a little bit more picky. yeah and i i was kind of mentioning before that my mind was kind of wandering but i mean this this makes the this is the perfect prequel movie. Mm. Let me tell you. All right. So, selfish Sarah does something, ends up leading to her baby brother's death. Mm -hmm. She goes frantic, starts going uh, crazy, and starts hallucinating based off the various imageries in her room. And as yeah. then from that point, um, she goes to see a psychiatrist who gets hills and the city starts going by her middle name which is marion and that's how this runs into requiem for a dream uh, uh, i'm not even mad this is exactly where my brain went i'm like only thing that makes sense right now is <laughs> something because of course my mind goes dark like this when i watch these yeah. type of things i'm like she, she did something and her baby brother died and now she's either doing hard drugs in her bedroom fascinating or she's going nuts or her nuts her going crazy may have other I, I, I like how you turned this you took my alice in wonderland <laughs> and you turned it and you turned it into american mcgee's alice because <laughs> i really like american mcgee's alice it's so good <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just saying it's the perfect prequel movie yeah because I'm going to go off this plot point slightly different, <laughs> slightly different but it, it leads close enough um, I think that was probably one of the large and glaring problems to me was no indication of an explanation around the goblins and what was happening there at all it was just a well she happened to say I wish at the right time and that did it where there was instead of having kind of a like something indicating that there was a power there or something around it no indication of magic and, and i almost wonder if this is where i had that weird thought in my mind that that there was something between her and the goblin king oh because you were like i was filling in some sort of meaning or connection there yeah and i mean they they definitely implied there there was implications that the goblin be Sarah, hmm. Sarah, Mary, and Silver, uh, and I would have liked to feel more impact to that whole the Goblin King, like his his whole monologue about like wanting to like give her everything, just like just get about your brother. Let me give you everything. Let me rule you, or what what have you. Yeah, it definitely. It's kind of this reminds 
this kind of reminds me of the second wall when we're talking about Carol and Tuesday. It's like, you're not a 16-year-old girl. But I, I'm wondering if there was some daydreaming, some selfishness, um, some, like, uh, girl experiencing sexuality and, like, just projecting this into this, like, dream world. Mm. So, I mean, I, I'm just kind of thinking this now, so I don't have this as a fully grown thought. Yeah. Wondering if that pro projection is the Goblin King. Mm. Something to be desired in that manner. Yeah, it could be. Because everything else is like the her projecting other facets of escapism from her immediate surroundings. Mm. This movie has a lot of wood likes. Uh, a big one is the like the music box ballerina. Mm. Like story wise, there was significance to it. They didn't touch on it at all. Yeah. I was given to her by her mother, and they live with her stepmother now, and like she, in the end, she puts it into a drawer and closes the drawer. Yeah. But why wasn't that projected stream work? Uh, it was. Ballroom scene. Oh. She, she was the, she, she was that ballerina. Or that, that's how I, that's I the connection right. I made. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just, like I said, it's like, I know that that, music box had ties to her mom but that's because i was reading trivia after the fact mm -hmm. um so it's it's a movie made up of spaghetti incidents um and it has too many of them so you know there's a world but because it's too loose and too little, few connections between it that you don't quite get that cohesive plot. Mm -hmm. And again, just to like repeat myself over and over, because all that filler could have been done in song. Yeah. And it, I mean, they made cats into a movie. Oh, God. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you could throw like four more songs into this thing and have it just be like, I'm probably not gonna watch labyrinth again anytime soon mm. but if i saw something like a local production house doing a musical yeah of the labyrinth i'd go see that yeah an instant yeah they're making all of these 80s and 90s movies into musicals so maybe <laughs> this this should have been the first one um i'm trying to just trying to remember this could have been a, a timing thing too like talking about the idea of it being a full musical because like this predates the golden age or like the, the Disney renaissance with like the Mer Little Mermaid and all of that mm. so I, I think I, I think a lot of the I think kind of musicals were out at around this time like i can't really think of a musical in the early 80s immediately jumping to me it's just the the inclusion of song in this one uh yeah to me it was sort of a place like you're watching the the santa claus with tim allen mm -hmm. and then 
two thirds of the way through the movie, he starts singing about how it's great to be Santa Claus. Yeah. You're like, where'd this come from? <laughs> it would make more sense in the Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Because <laughs> it's a goofy movie, so him breaking out in a song would make sense in that aspect. In this case, it's just like, I'm David Bowie and I'm singing. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mind the singing with the with those red bird things at all. That... Well, it was thematically correct. Yeah, exactly. It was just such a weird, out there, nonsensical what <laughs> that it, it fit perfectly there. Well, that's the reason why that was probably more frightening to me as an adult. Because mm -hmm. it like my brain couldn't make sense of it in the we didn't like this is when you tune into a Saturday morning cartoon for kids nowadays and you go, What is going on? I'm an elderly person. I have get off my lawn <laughs> like that's the kind of moment i had there just like ripping with my mentality yep. <laughs> but all the stuff that was quote unquote dark had my kind of humor to it mm -hmm. i i will give it that the the stuff that was more dark had more of a there's something very deadpan going on then there's that foil yeah and the, the crib and the goblin scene was the perfect example of that. Hmm. She's being super serious, overacting, but what she's doing... Yeah. And then the, the, the goblins and they're kind of like goofy and they want her to, you know, make that wish. Yeah. And I, I found that introduction of them is that for like, I just had the biggest, dumbest smile on my face watching <laughs> some of this stuff. Um, and that that was a uh, that was definitely a part of it. <laughs> the the goblins, and pretty much anything with Didymus. Yeah, I mean, I was kid on Sir Didymus because of the dog. Yeah, I mean, running around on a dog was pretty entertaining, and I I do like that character that's bigger than his britches. I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he was adorable in that. Yeah, like a scaredy, scaredy cat dog, ever courageous Sir Didymus. Yeah. Oh, I've got you completely surrounded. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it was just like the the callbacks to um, Black Knight from. Monty Python or kind of that Don Quixote type mm. of character, just like I, I, I'm sold by this. I, I, I'm sold that you think you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, just like a biggest dumbest smile. Let's <laughs> uh, see. Creature, I really like the a lot of the creature design. Well, I mean, I, we it's should, yeah, we should cover it, but it's Hanson, right? Yeah. Like, of course, it's going to be good. Yeah, they are rulers of this type of. It it's very true, uh, and this very much shows why. <laughs> yeah, like the kings and queens of practical effects there. Yeah, it's true. Can't really 
Um, there's some nice set design stuff that they did too. One that really jumped out at me. So after we had the false alarms. Oh yeah. Uh, there was the um scene with the the Goblin King and um and Hogwarts. <laughs> Hogwarts again, where like they just had like the three rocks that made oh. the Goblin King's face. Yeah, I I really like and, that. Yeah. Apparently it took them ages to get that set up right. <laughs> Because it actually was like the three rocks and just a perspective trick. Yeah. And, um, Apparently they did that a couple times, but I only caught that one. Yeah, it was the only one I caught. It, it was one of the big things that made me go, it's like, I kind of want to go back and rewatch to see where they had some of these other other things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just happened to miss because it was really cool <laughs> seeing it and seeing how it was done. Have them walk through it. It was... You know, something that would be obviously CG'd now to give the effect without actually having the effect. <laughs> yeah, when everything um, is done on, like, a single soundstage. Yeah. There was a few parts in the sets where I, I had a worry that they were just going to read the same thing. Because, mm -hmm. of course, I didn't remember anything about the movie. As and yep. when she went into the labyrinth, I'm like, this would have been a cheap film to make. Because I just assumed that most of it was going to be in that. Yeah. Like, legitimately use the same hall with different, like, chopped up pieces everywhere. Yeah. No, they they definitely stuck away from that. Like, yeah, I, I appreciated that. It was... I think that was an entire goblin village. Yeah. There's the entire goblin village. I mean, you had the swamp. The, the swamp looked pretty expansive. Um... Like, there's kind of the hedge mage section, which again looked very expansive. Um, where she meets Ludo, right? Like, I was impressed with that. Um, I mean, it was clearly filmed on a soundstage, but I mean, again, that's a very 80s, yeah, 80s look. Uh, so I forgive it for that. Well, it's, an, it's unfortunate for me that I couldn't. Forgive it for more. Mm. I really would have liked to, but just kept falling short in all these like different little ways. Yeah, I wasn't out of my seat. Mm. It's not like I wanted to, you know, like pause it or stop it, get up and do something. But I was definitely not where I should have been in the movie. It wasn't able to captivate me in that way. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Just because of the like a lot of the disharmony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're you're right. I think there was a lot of that, and I think again, just slight re-edits would, or making it a musical. Oh, just just making a musical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's a much bigger change in a couple slight edits. <laughs> I mean, should have been a musical. <laughs> it should have been a musical. Hashtag hashtag release the musical cut. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> we we got a Twitter. Can we make that trending? Not until the Angela cuts uh trending. <laughs> as as far as the spoopiness goes from the perspective of a child, I would still give this one like 
Five out of seven black cats. Okay. I think it maintains. I can identify why I was spooked, but it doesn't hold true now. Okay. As far as the... I, I was just going to give my, my black cat rating first, yeah. if that's fine. Um, I actually think I'd probably put this closer to three out of seven black cats. Mm. And the the big reason for this is other films around it that I can think of that would have creeped me out more. Mm. Things like things like Ghostbusters, because you can a lot of similar type of facts. I think Jim Henson did some of the ghosts there too, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, very possible, right? But uh, he had a lot of those things there at the same time, which was again kind of the puppets, but definitely got the creepier aspect for it. And, mm. You know, granted horror comedy, so you expect to have a little bit more of that. For sure. Um, but I think that would have taken away from my horror if I had seen this when I was uh, younger. Mm hmm. As far as the movie itself, hmm. uh, unfortunately, I can't rate it high. I would even give this one 6 out of 13 hours. Okay. I had that same dumb smile yeah. at some places, but yeah. it was just so disjointed to me. Yeah. And I mean, it could be one of those things that, you know, I'm it's smooth-brained and not always super smart, so... Anything spelled out for me? Tell you what, musical. Getting at least 12 or 13 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, no, I think your rating, I think your rating is actually fair. Um, again, with the caveat that I think, I think this is still a movie worth a watch. Mm. Like there's, I mean, again, this is kind of that birthplace of jennifer connelly um for acting it's the earliest role i actively know her in um the stuff that it does well it does very well is it going to get that rewatch not necessarily if it was a fully reconstructed alice mm -hmm. i'd probably have enjoyed it much more yeah like if they actually let like leaned into that, yes, they went like this is what we are, rehashing Alice, but in this new way. Yeah, kind of like some different twist. Yeah, I would say this was a better live action Alice than you know the Johnny Depp Alice. I haven't seen it, but I mean, <laughs> probably would. It was Johnny Depp and Helen Helen Bottom Carter being Johnny Depp and Lena Bottom Carter. Mm. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It's just I think this was closer to the tone of Alice. Um so yeah, that's actually it. Yeah, like lean into that just that bit more. Commit to to something instead of having these kind of three or four different ideas that you're not quite sure on and uh it almost makes me wonder if it had that same um, that same um, multiple writers syndrome. Uh, well, it did have a like a Muppets writer and Python writer. Hmm. Henson. Henson. 
Yeah. Rewriting the book. So it's entirely possible that all the things that we need from this are in the original story. Yeah. Could end up reading this and be like, oh, that's that's the one thread that would have yeah it, without disjointed it was i think play musical house in wonderland and go for something and stick with it <clears throat> yeah because you, you lean you leaned into it all i mean you gave the the it was all like so close to being there <laughs> it just leaves you wanting but not in that yeah. uh i want more of this you're like I want something addition yeah. I'm saying i don't know if that's the correct way to express it but that's kind of what i got from it yeah which makes um, makes me wonder why this kind of pulls in because there is kind of like still a cult following to this. yeah this is one of the this is firmly in the line of like cult followings that i don't understand mm-hmm. like uh genetic opera yeah, I don't. I don't get the cult following on that as well. Mm. Like, oh, there's you know some leather, and it's a bit morbid, which which is funny because I love that movie. You're the one who introduced it to me. Look, you get to see Paris Hilton's Paris Hilton's face fall off, and Anthony Stewart head singing. He's got an amazing fucking voice. That sells me. <laughs> Just and Sarah Brightman. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Brightman. Sir Brightman has this, there's this remix of Eden with the Gregorian Masters. It's like, hmm. Ooh, yeah. nice. Yeah, top 10 nice. song of all time. Yeah. Well, I guess. And one of the best music, anime music videos of all time. Let's step into that. Um, <laughs> the so, other thing that I, that I was just thinking, and this is something that might put context a little bit more to Labyrinth with like the cult followings and such around it. Um. There's two contemporaries I can think of, but I can't quite remember again enough of the story um, to see how this would fit in between them. And that's the Dark Crystal and the Neverending Story. Because I feel like I remember the Neverending Story feeling disjointed like this as well. And I can't remember Dark Crystal clear enough. Which is which is funny because the other one that we almost watched instead of this was the... Yeah. Might have been part two. Mm. I couldn't remember which one it was, and if it was the second, I didn't want. To... So, mm. it was the one where there's like these big clunky robot soldier things. Kind of looks like the guy at the beginning of the Fifth Element, but the... mm. I think it might have been Ooh. the second one. I think that's the second one. Yeah, I can't remember. I mean, the story's never ending. It's like yeah, it's just never the story. Yeah, yeah, it's just. It's, it's it's all really just one movie, um, <laughs> that, at least the two parts, obviously. Um. <laughs> but uh, what was the what was the first one you said again? Uh, Dark Crystal. Yes, Dark Crystal, which is really interesting because they did a follow up series to the Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. and friend of mine also did kind of like an in depth discussion and podcast. Okay. Let's see if I can find that. I'll send it to you. Yeah. I really went into this hoping I would like it more. Mm. I know I can be harsher on older movies because I'm firmly looking at my perspective from. Yeah. 
Like, if the acting's stiff, I'm not going to be like, oh, that's how they did it in the 50s. Yeah. It's like, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this with the heart that I have now. Yeah. In this case, I did try to watch it with the heart I had as a child. Yeah. Uh, so I could understand uh, the, the spooky bits and the scary bits, and I think I identified them. Yeah. But I really do wish I had, like, fallen in love with this. Now, if we if we can get we can get some type of confirmation that indeed her name is Sarah Marion Silver, then uh, I think I would have to uh, apologize <laughs> about being so mean to this one. Yeah. <laughs> With that, this has been Beardy and the Beast Spooktober Special. If you've enjoyed the cast, give us a like or a follow, and join us in the discussion in the comments or on our Discord. Next week, experience the terrifying finale of our Spooktoberfest with Invaders from Mars with guest Jamie from the sludge metal band Heron. Later.